we're going to start looking at seven key areas of our life that God would like to transform. Um, Our theme verse for this particular, not just this week, but for the whole 50 days, our theme verse is Romans 12, verse 2. I've told you that Romans 12 is one of the great chapters of the Bible. Um, Of the top 15 chapters of the Bible, Romans 12 is obviously one of those. If you're only going to memorize, if you're going to read a few, ver- a few verses, it's a great place to start. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Circle transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've heard me say this many, many times, that the way we think determines the way we feel, and then the way we feel determines the way we act. If we want to change something in our life, We don't start with our actions. We don't start even with our feelings. We don't start with just our willpower. We really need to start by changing the way we think or changing our beliefs. It doesn't start with our will. It starts with our thoughts. And if we change the way that we think, that will change the way we feel. And changing the way we feel will change the way we act. This is called transformation transformation, the transformation that God wants to do in our life, he wants to transform us, he wants to change us from emptiness to fullness. He wants to change us from defeat and failure to faith and victory like we sang about this morning. Transformation changes us from insecurity and inferiority to courage and to boldness. It helps us to become all that God wants us to be. He has a plan for our life. If we will submit, if we will cooperate with this transformation process, he will bring about his plan in our lives. What I want to say in this first session as we begin to look at spiritual health, that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what you're going to be looking at if you're in your small groups this week. Is I want to start by saying this. The further we get away from God, the more trouble we're going to have in our life. The more trials, the more difficulties, the more stress the more things that are going to go wrong in our life. You've probably already discovered this in your life. The farther you get away from God, the harder life is. So you jot that down. The further I get away from God, the more trouble I'm going to have in my life. Now, the opposite is also true. This is the good news. That's the bad news. The good news is the closer I get to God, the more I'm going to be transformed. The closer I get to God, the more he's going to transform me to be more like his son Jesus, equip me with the fruits of the Spirit, and that's going to make life go a lot, lot better. It's going to get me a lot farther, a lot closer to his plan for my life. Paul, this happens all through Scripture. We see this. God changes people. The Apostle Paul, when he finally meets Jesus face-to-face on the Damascus Road, he is radically transformed, literally from a terrorist. He was a religious terrorist, as Saul of the New Testament to become a man of peace and love. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote the greatest poem about love, the greatest passage about love ever written in 1 Corinthians 13. You've heard it at weddings your whole life. Love is, love is, love is. That's Paul who penned those words. It wasn't just Paul that was changed. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah goes from someone who is down and depressed to someone who's transformed into a courageous person when he met God. Moses... Moses, the Bible tells us, got so close to God that his face, his countenance, his physical appearance was transformed. 
He literally was physically transformed. Look, we all want to be close to God. We all probably need to be closer to God. We wouldn't be here today or we wouldn't come to church if we didn't have some desire to be close to God on some level. And here's the deal, though. For all of us, even those of us who maybe are as close to God right now as you've ever been in your life, all of us, we have this tendency. We tend to drift away from our closeness. We tend to not stay close. We wander away from God. This is why we all need transformation, especially after the year we've just had. There's been a lot of ways for us to drift. There's been a lot of ways for us to wander. There's been a lot of ways for us to isolate ourselves, not just from people, but also isolate ourselves from God to the point where you might feel today you're not as close to God as you have been in the past. So as we start off transformation and we talk about, okay, if the closer I get to God, the more transformed I'm going to be, then we need to talk about, Well, how do I get close to God? Or more importantly for most of us, how do I stay close to God? Or how do I get back to being close to God? Some of us, probably almost all of us, can point to a time back in our life when we were very close to God. Maybe you can think back and you think, yeah, man, I remember this time. We were just so close to God. Usually this surrounds some kind of tragedy or some kind of difficult circumstance in our life. And we're going through the worst valley of our life. Sometimes that can drive us to our knees and then we become closer and closer. Why is it that it takes a crisis for many of us to bring us back to God? Just like the guy we're going to talk about in our story today. You know, we look back and we think there was a time where I was close to God, where I could sense the fellowship, I could sense the friendship, I could sense this this closeness. I had this joy in my life, even though my circumstances maybe weren't so good. How do I get back to that, Jerry? How do I get back? Because I feel like I've wandered away. Fortunately, we have this very familiar story. You've probably heard this story. If you've ever been to church in your life, you've heard this story. It's very famous. Jesus himself told it. And it's about the kingdom of God. He tells this parable. It's called the story of the prodigal son. Sometimes it's called the story of the loving father because Really, it's more about the father's love than it is about the son. But most people know it as the prodigal son. I want to read you this rather long story that Jesus tells, and then we're going to try to see what we can learn from it and how we can come back. We can run from death to life, run to the father. Luke 15, 11 through 24, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want your share... I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Pig slop. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. 
and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned, has returned now to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Don't you just love that story? I could read that over and over again. It tells the story of how every one of us tends to wander away from the Father who made us. We wander away from the God who loves us. And this kid starts off by saying, Dad, I want, I want you to give me, me what's rightfully mine. Mine, 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 like a toddler. Haven't I said that there's a toddler in all of us, it seems like, sometimes? Give me mine, a very self-centered life. That's where we usually start off in life. Give me mine, 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 mine. I want mine, and I want it now. So he, he takes off, he packs up, he heads, he heads for the strip in Jerusalem. He wastes his money, it says, basically on wine, women, and song, particularly women, and he, gets, he messes up his life. And he finally hits, because he's broke, all his friends leave him. He hits the skids. He becomes homeless. And about the time he becomes homeless, and he's panhandling, and he's begging people for a little bit of change, it says that the, the nation goes into a national recession because there's a famine in the land. And now he's begging for money to be able to feed himself every day, and there's none to be found because people can't even feed themselves. They're not going to share with him. He can't find a job, unemployment's through the roof, and things go from bad to worse. And finally, he finds a farm, like the farm his father has. And he says, you know what, I, I've watched them work, I, I could do this. And he hires himself out, and they give him the worst job you could possibly get for a, for a young Jewish 20-something I mean, as a Jew, you weren't even supposed to, you weren't supposed to be around pigs. You weren't supposed to eat pork. You weren't supposed to have anything to do with such an unclean, according to the Old Testament, animal. So he gets hungry. He gets so desperate. It's like he's in one of those cartoons, you know, and they, they see something walk by, and you see the little bubbles up there, and he sees this roast beef. It smells so good. And he's thinking to himself, what's wrong with me that this looks good to me? And it says that he, he came to his senses. He Burst the bubble of the dream, he wakes up and he realizes even the servants, the lowest rung on the ladder, even the lowest of servants in my father's house eats better than this. What am I doing here? And he knows he doesn't deserve his father's love. He knows he doesn't deserve to be adopted back into the family or to be grafted back in. But he says, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go ask my father to just put me kind of in the bunkhouse kind of with the, with the lowest of the servants, I'm going to ask him for a job, just hire me. I'd rather be a servant in my father's house than try to make it in this unsustainable world 
that I find myself in. And you know the rest of the story as we saw the father's response. What I want us to do is I want us to look at this story and get the four things that we need to do, the four things that our response should be in order to get back to God, in order to come home to God. Maybe you're here today and there's a time, like I said, where you used to be close to God, but you've drifted away. Or maybe you took a detour uh, for a few weeks, a few months, a few decades. Maybe it was three or four marriages ago. It, maybe it was all the way back in, in, in elementary or, or middle school where you made a commitment. And you know, your long, windy road, your life looks like, I mean, if you're honest, you look back on your life, it looks like a really bad country western song, right? I mean, it's just been a mess. And you find yourself here today. I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you haven't been in church in years. Maybe this is your first time watching or tuning in. You didn't even plan this this morning. You just somehow something popped up on Facebook, and next thing you know, you've been watching for a little bit. But you've been distant. You would say, I really don't feel God's presence in my life. You want to be close to God. How do I get back to him, Jerry? Well, we do four things. I want you to jot these down. This is the pathway Back to spiritual transformation. The first thing you've got to do, number one, is I got to get fed up with my life. I got to get enough discontentment, enough I'm tired of living like this. You know, I'm so stressed out. There's so much going on. I'm so lonely. I'm so depressed. I'm overworked. I'm over busy. This whole pandemic has been killing me. I, I don't even like myself anymore. You know, my wife and kids stopped liking me months ago, and uh, I don't even like myself anymore. I'm grouchy all the time. i got to get sick and tired because nothing's going to happen in our life until we first get dissatisfied with where we are. My friends in AA call this the gift of desperation. Nothing's going to happen until we decide, you know what, I'm tired of being stressed out like this. I'm tired of being frustrated all the time. I'm tired of being, you know, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired even. And I'm tired of feeling distant from God. We've got to get hungry enough to make a change. We've got to be ready, fed up, and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to, what am I doing here? I'm ready to make a change. The scripture said that he, he wasted all of his money. He had nothing left. Because he got desperate and he got hungry, he finally came to his senses. That's where transformation starts. Are you there yet? Are you kind of, you know, are you there yet? Are you desperate enough to go, you know what, I'm, I, I'm tired of being so far from God. If not, it's okay. God will let you stay right where you're at. Uh, he'll, he'll let a little rain in your life like we're getting today. And if you don't respond, he'll let a little more rain in your life. And then you just still don't respond, the storm will come. It's funny to me how we feel that way. Sometimes we feel, I'm afar from God, I'm drifting from God, I'm, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, too, I'm, I'm too tired to do anything about it. Then the storm of life comes, and we're like, why me, God? Why is this happening in my life? Why, why is, you know, all of a sudden the storm is coming? I'll tell you why. Because God loves you is why. And God will allow the rain to fall and fall and fall and fall. He'll allow the storms to come and blow and blow and blow because he loves you. In fact, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. I want you to fill that out. God loves me just the way that I am, but he loves me too much to let me stay this way. God loves me the way I am, but he loves me way too much to let me stay this way. God does not want you to waste your life. 
In fact, we said last week at Easter, you were created by God and for God. You were created to have a relationship with him and to love him back. God is more concerned with, he has a plan for your life, with you finding his plan, with you having a relationship with him, learning to love him, learning to be loved by him, learning to know him, that he is not going to let you just waste away your life. When, when God wants to get our attention, he comes knocking. And if we ignore the door, he knocks again and knocks a little louder. If we ignore again, he knocks again. He's very persistent, but he's patient. And we'll knock again and knock again and knock again. Some of you, you've been hearing the knocking for a long time. And eventually he stops knocking and he just blows the door down. And then you're like, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on? You know, my whole life is falling apart. Some of you feel like that right now. You feel like he's blown the door of your life down. You lost your job. That's a door blown in. You've lost your marriage. That's a door blown in. You've lost your career. You lost your house. You lost a friend. You lost something else. Why? Because of God's love, he will allow these things in our life with the goal of bringing us back to him for us to finally come to our senses and go, yeah, I cannot control everything in my life anymore. God doesn't want you to miss out on this opportunity and waste your life. The first step of transformation is when we finally get disgusted and fed up, sick and tired of being sick and tired of the way we're living. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, God says it this way. He says, you will find me when you get serious. Circle, get serious. You will find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. God is not going to reveal himself to us as we just lift this kind of casual, laissez-faire. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm dabbling in Christianity. Christianity is the worst thing to dabble in. Okay, it will make you miserable. Okay, because he wants us to follow him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. So I've got to get fed up with the way that I'm living. I've got to get to the place where I say, you know what, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be a better way to live than this. You get fed up. The second thing I've got to do if I'm going to get close to God, come back to God, come home to God, I get fed up with my life. And then number two, I own up to my sin. I own up. We own up. First we get tired and fed up. Then we get second, we own up. This is the second thing this young man does in verse 17 and 18. He says, when he finally came to his senses, he's like, this is, this is crazy. This is nuts. I, I can't maintain this kind of lifestyle right now. This isn't sustainable. He comes to his senses. That's when you wake up. I said this before, either last week or the week before. Until you understand that you're made by God and for God to have a relationship with him, life will never make sense. So if you've been going... And go, man, this, this doesn't, life without God does not make sense. It'll never make sense. To live without your creator who made you isn't very logical. He came to his senses. He says, I've sinned against both heaven and you. Nothing's going to happen until we come to stage two where we finally own up and face up that, you know what? I haven't been living God's way. I've been living my way. Great song, horrible lifestyle. Didn't even work out for the guys who sang it very well. So God has a way. He's put it down here and he says, if you live my way, you'll be better. But it's harder, we say. But it's not as easy. Oh, in the short run, maybe. It's not simple. It's not easy. But 
But following him is easier than the alternative. So we've got to come to the place where we say, you know what? I'm going to stop doing it my way. I'm going to stop trying to control everything in my life because you can't control everything in your life. You can't even control a little virus, much less every, everything about your finances, everything about your relationships, everything about, you know, all, all the things that this world brings to you. You can't control the people in your life, that's for sure. Have you, have you given up trying? In fact, God wants us to just, God would say to you, you know, you can just go ahead and why don't you just resign as general manager of the universe? Because you're not doing such a good job managing your universe. How's that working out for you, as Dr. Phil would say? So when we get to the place where we say, all right, I can't control it. I can't, I can't control life. I'm ready to surrender control, and I'm ready to cooperate with you, God. So I own up to my own sin. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, I've, I've sinned. Isaiah 59.2 says, it's your sins that have cut you off from God because of your sins he has turned away and will not listen anymore have you ever felt like God was a million miles away I mean but God's everywhere he's he's omnipresent so he's like right here but why do I feel like he's so far away when I'm praying it doesn't feel like my prayers are getting to him even though he's right here well it's because sometimes our sin blocks our prayers from getting through the God and God says yeah I'm not going to I'm not going to answer your prayer to help you wreck your life. I'm not going to answer your prayers that are going to help you to continue to try to be God and be in control of your life. I'm not going to help your prayers that I know are going to lead you farther and farther away from me when my purpose for your life is to be close to me, to love me with all your heart, soul, and mind, so that I can give you this plan, this good, good plan for your life. God says, I'm not answering those, those prayers for the wrong direction because of the sin in your life. And that's why sometimes we can't hear God, or we feel like we can't hear God. We feel like we're just talking to ourselves. Says, Your sins have cut you off from God, and he has turned away, and he will not listen anymore. This is where it comes from. It comes from the sin in our life. When we give anything else first place in our life, that's a problem. This, the Bible calls it an idol. We say, well, I don't have any idols. You know, we think of idols as these little sticks, these little stone statues, these little uh, plastic figurines. And we're like, well, I don't pray to a stone idol or a plastic figurine or, or a stick, so therefore I don't have any idols. Th- those are just sticks and, and stones. Idols, for us, is anything we put first, first place in our life. An idol could be your career. It can be your hobby. It can be a relationship. An idol can be, you know, your bank account. An idol can be um, in, any number of things can become an idol. It can be your appearance. It can be your fitness. It can be just about anything that you put number one. You see people all the time. Man, that guy lives for that. Either you live for, apart from God, becomes an idol. Success can be an idol. Money, a hobby can be an idol. These things aren't necessarily bad. I'm not saying they're sinful. I'm just saying they become sinful when we put them ahead of God in our life. They don't deserve first place. So I've got to own up to my, to my sins. As I said, few weeks ago we are as close to god as we choose to be we can't blame anybody else it's not your husband's fault that you've drifted from god it's not your wife's fault you drifted from god we're as close to god as we choose to be it's not your kid's fault it's not your parents fault it's not your brother's fault we're as close to god as we choose to be so we own up to that we say okay god i've blown it i've drifted away i've not done the things that i should have done i've been going my own way doing my own thing serving me self-centeredly instead of serving you and when I do that, what is God's response to facing up to my sin? When we say, okay, God, I've, I've sinned, does he say, well, yeah, Jerry, well, let me tell you all the other things you've done wrong. You missed about 12. 
That's not what he does. God doesn't rub it in. When I come to him and I say, God, I, you know, I've done this and I'm really, really sorry. What does he do? Just like the father, he runs to us already forgiven us the moment we make the, the determination to turn towards him. Um, here's, here's a prayer, an example of a prayer we could pray is found in Psalm 51. And this is actually King David prays this prayer after he had really messed up. Okay, he had sinned with some big, big sins. This is the prayer that David prays after he commits adultery with one of his best friend's wives, Bathsheba, and then he has his best friend Uriah killed. So adultery and, and murder, two of the biggest sins we could put on any of our human lists, pretty serious. This is David after he repents and he comes, he says, and he prays to God in Psalm, 1, Psalm 15, 1 through 4. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. Circle that, recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Recognize my rebellion means I own up. I face up to my sins. I recognize my fault. What is God's response when we come to him, when we come home to him? All through scripture we see his response. One of the places is in Isaiah 118 where God says, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Isn't that a beautiful verse? He says, no matter what you've done or who you've done it with, Let's face it, some of you hang out with some rough characters, right? No matter what you've done or who you've done it with, God says, I can remove it. I forgive you. So this week as you're going through your devotions, you're going to start today, you're going to start tomorrow, or whenever you get your book, you're going to start with day one. You don't have to all be on the same day every day. Nancy started hers. My Friday night group, I told you I already met, Nancy's already done day one and two. I didn't have a book. Kristen is stealing my book, so I'm not starting my, my day one will be tomorrow. You could wait till Wednesday to your Wednesday night group and start your day one. That's okay. And if you miss a day, don't worry about it. Just the next day, you start with the day that you missed. So it may, this may be 60 days of transformation for you if you miss 10 days. Who knows? Um, God can get it done in 60 days. You're going to start and you're going to read these books. You're going to record your responses day in and day out. And each week we're going to get a memory verse. That's why I'm bringing this up. Our memory verse for this week is 2 Corinthians 5:17. And I want us to read this out loud together. This is one that we're going to memorize or I'm going to encourage you. You can engage in four different ways. I'm going to ask you to come to church seven weeks in a row or watch online. I'm going to ask you to do the devotion 50 days, five to ten minute devotion. I'm going to ask you to get in a small group. And I'm going to ask you to memorize a verse, one verse a week. You could pick two of these. You could pick three of these. You could do just one of these. I mean, for some of us, just coming to church seven weeks in a row, that'll be life-changing. Instead of seven times in a year, it'll be seven weeks in a row, right? That'll change my life kind of a thing. For some of us, having a devotion 50 days in a row, oh, man, that's going to be the best thing you ever, you've ever done. But we're, one of the things we're going to do, if you choose to, is memorize a verse every week. It's not that hard. This is an easy verse. When we memorize a verse, we read the address before and after it. So let's read this together. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Read it out loud. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. 
on new life has begun. And the address again, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Read that every day this week. Work on that. And I bet by the end of this week, you'll have it almost already memorized just from doing your, your homework. This verse is a positional statement. What it means is God says we are a new person. In fact, it's a picture that we show in baptism. Every time we do a baptism, when we are baptized, it's a picture of our old nature dying. And it says God says anyone who belongs to Christ, when you come up out of the water, the old is gone and a new life has begun. You've become a new person. We're going to try to do a baptism today. As is our, what happens around here a lot of times, it's like a lightning storm every time we have a baptism. Um, so pray about that. Pray for me <laughs> that uh, we, we get it in. This is a positional statement. And what it means is God says you are a new person. That means you don't have to stay the same anymore. You don't have to live with the same life you've been living. He says you now have a new power. He says I'll be the general manager of the universe because I'm God. And you just focus on getting close to me. You just focus on being my child. You just focus on getting to know me and love me. Because you have a new power in you. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You have new abilities. You have a new community, the church that you live with. You have a new identity and you have a new destiny. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. This is a verse we're working on this week. So I get fed up. I own up. I face up with what I need to do. Third step, I offer myself up. I offer up myself. I offer up my total being. I say, okay, God, make me what you want me to be. Change me. Transform me. This is what this young man did. He got fed up. He owned up. So I've sinned against you. Then he offered up. Look what transforms. Look how big a change happens from verse 12 where it says the youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. How selfish that is compared to seven verses later when he comes back. I'm no longer worthy to be of being called your son. Please make me, take me on as a hired hand and make me, make me a part of your family, of your team. Give, he goes from gimme, gimme, gimme to make me. That's transformation. When our heart moves from self-centeredness, what's in it for me, 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 the toddler, to make me, transform me, change me into what you want me to be, that's transformation. Are you there yet? There's still a little bit of, yeah, there's a little bit of gimme, gimme, gimme in me, Jerry. This could be the day. This could be at the beginning of this series, the time where we come and we go, yeah, I got, I'm ready to get, I'm fed up. I'm ready to own up. And I'm ready to offer up. Are you letting God do that in you? Transformation, just like Kristen says, is something we have to cooperate with. He's not going to bust down the door and do it himself. He's not going to make us. Transformation doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. God's still transforming me. I still need God to transform and to change me. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, you bet. But you, of course you do. Just like all of us. None of us are there yet. There's nobody that's been fully transformed. God is still working this process. For 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we all are being transformed, that's all of us, into his image with, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
So circle that word transformed, 2 Corinthians 3.18. You know, it's interesting. The Bible, you might not know this, the, Bible, the, the New Testament of the Bible is written in Greek. The Greek word for transformed is this word metamorpho. It's the, Greek, it's the word that we get in, in English, we get the word metamorphosis from this word. What is metamorphosis? They taught you in school. If you remember all the way back to like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, they taught you. Metamorphosis is the change that happens when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, it goes into chrysalis, and then becomes a butterfly. That's the word, the power to go from a caterpillar cocooned into this ugly little chrysalis thing that, you know, doesn't even look alive to a beautiful butterfly is where we get this word. It doesn't happen overnight. There's a time where, I mean, when you think about the caterpillar, basically the caterpillar is just a furry worm, right? I mean, it's just crawling there on the ground. It's minding its own business. It has no, it has no beauty to it at all, no purpose at all, maybe to chomp on a couple of a leaf, be eaten by a bird. Um, but all of a sudden, it goes through this transformation, this metamorphous process, and becomes literally one of God's most beautiful creations, the butterfly. This is what transformation is all about. When you're a caterpillar, you, know, you, you don't have a future until you become transformed, and then God, God shows all of your beauty. So let me say it to you this way. God has made you to be a butterfly. Not a furry worm. Turn to the person on both sides of you. They like this in the first service. And say, I am not a furry worm. Okay? Go ahead. Tell them. Like you, like you believe it. I am not just a worm. Okay? Now, you might get someone looking at you like, well, you look like a worm. Well, God's not done with me yet. Okay? God is not finished with me yet. But it's a process. Okay? Look a little furry right now. A little wormy right now. But God, if I'll allow him to... He will transform me. He will transform you into something beautiful, something that has so much more potential than the lowly caterpillar worm. But we've got to say that, just like the prodigal son. Make me, change me. God, I admit I've been living for myself. I've been, I've been drifting away. It's been a long, long time since I've been following you. So right now, I'm offering myself up for you to change me. Now, Romans 12, 2 is our theme verse for the whole series. Let me read you the verse right before it, Romans 12, 1, and then 12, 2. It says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. So circle the word offer. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed there's that word again, by the renewing of your mind. No transformation will happen until we offer up ourselves. And then I want you to notice the father's response from the prodigal story in verse 20 and 22. It says, filled with love and compassion, he ran out to his son, embraced him and kissed him. Bring the finest robe, he says. Bring the best ring. Bring the best shoes. Bring the fatted calf. All these things are the father's response. Notice, he does not wait for the son to get all the way to him. As soon as he sees him off in a distance, the father runs. He sprints all the way to him. Well, he, was, he doesn't wait for him to come knock on the door, get down on his knee, and, and, and beg for forgiveness, grovel. God doesn't wait for you 
to knock on the door, get on your knees, and grovel for his forgiveness or his acceptance. What does he do? He's a good father. In fact, Jesus said, this is the kingdom of God. God is not waiting for you to get all the way to him. He's the one that takes the initiative. As soon as you make the turn to say, I'm going to offer myself up, God is already running in your direction. In fact, he'll meet you more than halfway. He'll throw his arms around you. He'll kiss you. He'll say, you know, I know you blew it, but get the best robe, get the best clothes, get my signet ring. We're having a party. God does not hold a grudge against all the dumb things you've done. And some of you, I get it. You're like, Jerry, I don't have baggage. I got railroad cars full of junk that I've done. And you're like, you just don't know. You just, I mean, people have told me for, for 30 years almost, people have told me, if I come to church, the walls will fall down. If you've said that, this is the church for you. We're full of people like that. None of the walls have never fallen down. This storm won't take these walls down, I promise you. We've had direct hits by hurricanes. We're fine. God does not, no matter how much baggage you have, God is not going to say to you, "That's not." he is not holding a grudge. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He loves you. And he wants you to come home. He's watching for you like the good, good father was watching for the son. He's just waiting as soon as he can barely see you as a speck. He's running in your direction. And God has a better plan for your life than you could ever imagine. You may think, well, I'm living the good life, Jerry. I, and you are. I said this. I said, you are living the good life. You're, you live in America. Of course it's good. You live in Florida. Hey, we live in a great, this is paradise. If it wasn't for the bugs, everybody would live here. There's giant bugs. Don't come to Florida, please. I'm only kidding. Florida's the last step before, stop before heaven. Everybody gets here eventually. You're living the good life. It's Florida. It's America. Of course you're living a good life. But you are, you are not living the life that you could be living. God offers you not the good life. He offers you the best life. He offers you a better life. The good life isn't good enough. You think you're living life good now? You are not living life at all. You're like the caterpillar. You don't even know what it could be like to have God in your life. So how do I get back to God? I've got to get fed up. I've got to get own up. I've got to offer up. Then there's one more thing. Don't worry. It's just a feeling. I'm not going to teach this part. The final thing I do is I lift up my praise. I thank God. God, thank you for transforming and changing me. You can do that today. You say, but he hasn't changed me yet. Yes, he has. He just hasn't revealed it yet. If you get fed up, if you own up, if you offer up, he is already going to do it. And you can start thanking him for that. In these next 50 days, you can praise him for the change that he's going to bring, the transformation that's going to happen. He says, we must celebrate with a feast for a son of mine, for this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party, so the party began. Life becomes a celebration. Life becomes a party. When life becomes transformed. When life comes to transformation, it begins the celebration. And just like God says the angels will rejoice when one person steps across the line of faith and accepts Jesus, the angels rejoice when one Christian comes home to the Father. The angel rejoice when one wandering 
person comes back to the Father. No condemnation, just celebration. When the son came back, he said, I'm fed up. I own up. I offer up. And then, now I lift up my praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we think of your grace, we can be overwhelmed. There's no way that we deserve this kind of reaction, this kind of celebration, this kind of welcoming when we come home. Father, this year has been a year that has stressed us out like no other year. People are running on empty. They're tired. I just pray that people who are here will take the step. They'll get fed up and they'll, they'll own up and they'll, they'll offer up and say, Okay, I'm, I'm ready, Lord. If you can transform me, I'll do what it takes. I'll offer myself up to you. So we come to you today, all of us, and we say, you know, we're fed up with this, the way we've been living, living without Christ or living without you in our daily life, Lord. We're fed up with doing it all on our own power. We're fed up with trying to control this pandemic, control all the different areas of, this, of our life. And we own up. We realize we've allowed this thing to isolate us from you. That we haven't moved, you haven't been the one that's moved, we have. And the reason we're not as close to you is because we've allowed other things to cloud our vision of you. Even the problems we go through to cloud our vision of you. We've allowed some idols in our lives, things that we loved more than we love you. And that has made us feel distant from you. Today, Father, we want to come back. We want to come back and we want to own up to our sin. And then we want to offer ourselves up. We're not saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. We're saying, make me. Make me, make me. Make me the son of God you want me to be, the daughter of God you want me to be. Make me the person that follows Christ that you want me to be. Lord, transform our lives. Each life, transform it over the next 50 days and transform the life of our church. Listen, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you never accepted Christ's salvation, His gift of salvation, right now I want to give you the opportunity to do that. To accept, just say, Jesus, right where you're at, just say, Jesus, right now I want to accept your gift of salvation. And say, thank you for loving me and dying on the cross for me like we talked about last week at Easter. Today I want to give myself back to you. Offer myself up to you. Make me your follower. Make me your servant. God, make me your child. And I ask you to transform my life. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us online this morning. That was such a great message that we can all apply this week. And if you haven't signed up for 50 Days of Transformation Group yet, it's not too late. Head on over to the website and click sign up. Trust me, you don't want to miss this opportunity to grow. Again, that's SeminoleChurch.com and then click sign up. When you are on the website, you'll be able to pick a day that works best for you and indicate whether you want to meet in person or online. I seriously love these church-wide studies that we get to do together. It grows us 
closer as a church community and just personally with God. I mean, 50 days of having an intentional quiet time with the Lord is definitely going to impact your life in a huge way. Another quick reminder, The Collective, that's our college and young adult group, meets tonight at 7 p.m. We are actually going to be going through the 50 days of transformation together as a group. So, The Collective is meeting every Sunday evening until the end of the series. If you are a young adult and don't have a group yet, I hope that you'll come and check it out. That's it for today. Once again, thanks for being here. We will be back next week at 9 and 1045 in person and online. And for those participating in the 50 Days of Transformation, I will be praying that you have a great first week meeting with your life groups. Have a great week.